Welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. This is an exciting episode. It's our first episode that comes after our 301 redirect into office number 301. We legitimately moved into office 301. We, uh, our very first office was office 404, and the joke was always that nobody could find us. Although I saw a tweet, I think Don Anderson tweeted this, that apparently Tim Berners-Lee, who's kind of known as the founder of the internet, his office was office number 404, and nobody could ever find him in his office. So when they decided to name the status codes when they were creating the internet, they actually named 404 not found after Tim Berners-Lee's office uh, because he couldn't be found. So we started off in office 404. A little bit of the story that's not quite as uh, much fun is that we actually moved to office 300 and now we're moved uh, into 301 and we're probably going to be here for a while. Um, It's a permanent redirect, right? Uh, We've got loads of space and it's been a very interesting week and trying to get everything organized and get our desks uh, figured out and all that, but it's it's been fun. So, um, so yeah, so we're going to talk to you today. This is episode number 119 of Search News You Can Use, recorded on Wednesday, February 12th of 2020. This has been a really interesting time with uh, trying to understand Google. If you're the same as me and your job involves trying to figure out what it is that Google changed, you're probably pretty tired right now. Um, Google's been making so many changes. We had what looks like a very significant update uh, around the date of February 7th, 2020, uh, although there's some debate about that. This update has not been announced by Google, and Google's been pretty good at announcing core updates lately, uh, so we're not sure what is happening. Um, So I'm going to talk a little bit about that in this episode. We're going to talk a little bit more about sites that have had pages get completely de-indexed. This is an issue that's been going on for a couple of months now, and uh, I didn't pay a crazy amount of attention to it, although when I mentioned it in my last podcast episode, I had quite a few of you reach out to me me either on Twitter um, or uh, in other methods, uh, just to tell me that this is a serious issue for your sites. So we've done a little bit more investigation into this, although we don't have exact answers. There's some interesting observations, though. We'll talk about a bunch of local SEO stuff as well, and uh, a whole bunch of other things, too. I think this is going to be a a really good episode of of search news you can use. I thought I would do something fun, and uh, there was something we were going to include in podcast, and I thought, why don't we start off podcast with this question, a little bit of a quiz for some of you, and I'm going to give the answer closer to the end of podcast. So here's my question for you. Let's say you had an issue on one of your pages and your page contained two no index tags. So the first no index tag is a no index follow and the second no index tag is index follow. So the difference there is one tag says no index and one says index. What's a search engine going to do? Actually, more particularly, what is Google going to do with that page? Will it get indexed? So I'll answer that later on in this episode, and uh, you can see if you got the right answer. Let's talk about this update. 
So again, February 7th is when uh, we really started noticing the most changes. With that said, uh, we have a number of sites in our profile that seemed to see a significant boost in Google rankings uh, as early as February 3rd, and then February 7th, uh, quite a few. And if you look at the algo checking tools, so MozCast, SEMrush Sensor, all of those things, they're showing a massive increase in SERP volatility. So what those tools look for are, are there changes in Google SERPs that um, can't be explained by, oh, Google maybe added an extra ad block or the, the layout of the SERPs changed, but is there legitimately a shuffling of uh, ranking positions to the point where we feel like Google did something? Um, and most of these tools, what they do is they give a number uh, that indicates the severity of the turbulence. Um, and so MozCast, you know, they put it in a bit of a, a, a temperature. Um, SEMrush sensor will, you know, apply a number, I think out of 10. And both of these tools and the other ones as well are showing like this is a massive, massive update, probably bigger in terms of the impact on the SERPs than Medic, uh, which was August 1st of 2018. Now, it's possible that, uh, you know, Google has changed something in their layouts and these tools are just confused, but I don't think this is the case. We have, um, and I, I should really look at the percentage, but we have quite a few clients that saw significant changes, uh, mostly February 7th. And something interesting is that um, I think we have maybe one or two clients that are seeing a slight decrease and the vast majority are seeing nothing. Um, and then the, the rest of them are, are seeing a nice increase. Uh, and that's not always normal. Um, usually with an update, you know, we'll have some sites in our profile that see uh, significant decreases, but we're, we're not seeing that with this, uh, with this update. Um, the other thing that's really unusual is that it's very hard to determine what Google is doing here. Um, now, granted, usually we need a few weeks into an update to, to get enough data and to start uh, looking at all of the chatter online. Um, we've spent hours and hours looking through the Google help forums, looking through all the tweets that uh, uh, people have given, looking through Barry Schwartz's article um, on Search Engine Roundtable and, you know, kind of figuring out what is it that people are talking about. Usually within a few days of something significant like this, I feel like I have a lot of theories that uh, really could be true. Now, in our newsletter, if you're a paid subscriber to our newsletter, we've unpacked some of our very early theories, but they're very vague <laughs> at this point um, because I feel like this is something different than Google has done before. Uh, this isn't just a tweak of, uh, you know, oh, we, we used to consider this trustworthy and now we're turning up the dial and we're valuing that even more. Um, you know, I think this is something that is is very significant. Uh, and I know that's kind of vague, and most of you who are listening to this want more specifics. Um, again, if you're a paid newsletter subscriber, uh, I have put our very early thoughts in there. Next week in newsletter, we're going to go into even more detail uh, when I have more data. Um, what else can I say about it in podcast? Something that's really interesting is that some of our clients that are seeing increases are seeing massive 
increases in keyword rankings uh, for pages that aren't really the best of their kind. Um, we have one client that is seeing a, a big increase from not even in the top 100 to uh, number one for one of their main keywords, a, a very, very uh, important keyword for them. And the page that's ranking number one is a tag page that is I mean, there's some text on the page, but it's not great. And it's certainly not the best of its kind. There are no links pointing to this page. Uh, it's just really bizarre. And this client um, is not really known as a giant authority. Uh, and this is repeated in a couple of the clients that we, we looked at as well, that certain keywords are just suddenly uh, skyrocketing into top places uh, that weren't there before. And yet, when we look at these pages, it's not like I can say, oh, yeah, Google's getting better at recognizing that this is the best answer for people's queries because they're really not great pages. So with all of this said, something that's very important to mention is that the SERP, uh, the weather tracking tools are still showing a, a significant uh, amount of turbulence even as I'm recording this podcast. So February 7th was when we first started seeing uh, massive turbulence. I know I said February 3rd, but February 7th, and this is five days later, we're still seeing a lot of shifting happening in the SERPs. So I think Google's testing stuff. Uh, again, we have some theories in newsletter about this, but I think they're testing a whole new way to rank sites. Um, I, I think it's possible that uh, they're using better, they're using BERT to better understand the context of pages, and maybe they need to put less emphasis on links. Um, I don't think Google's completely gotten rid of links by any means, but uh, something is different in the way that they rank websites. So we're going to unpack this more over the next couple of weeks. And uh, if you have any theories, I'm happy to hear them. Just tweet at me, Marie underscore Haynes. If you ever want to send us something private, like some screenshots or, you know, something you don't want me to share publicly, our Twitter account, MHC underscore Inc, I-N-C, uh, has DMs open, or at least it should. And um, just mention that you're responding to something on podcast, because Summer, who uh, uh, monitors that Twitter account, will probably be confused about why people are just randomly sending her screenshots otherwise. Um, let's talk more about this issue with pages dropping out of the index. Now, is this, this could be connected to what we're currently seeing, but this issue is actually something that started a couple of months ago. Uh, and I mentioned it in podcast last week, and I had quite a few people reach out to me uh, saying, here's some information if you want to do more investigation into this. And so we looked at a great number of threads in the Google Help Forum uh, uh, th uh, forum where you could ask questions from uh, Google on, you know, what's happening with your site. And uh, we've given an example in newsletter of um, something that was typical is people showing that their traffic was just going along fine. And uh, all of a sudden, December 17th, there's a massive drop in impressions and a big drop in the number of pages that are indexed. Um, so we looked at a bunch of sites that are uh, that were complaining in the Google Help Forum uh, that they had seen massive de-indexing. And so we did site colon searches for these sites. And it's really interesting to see that in some cases, a site colon search on Google will display maybe eight pages. Whereas you, if you do the same site colon search on Bing, you'll see hundreds, like 800 pages. Uh, and so we've given a couple of examples in, in newsletter of that. Um, and basically those pages that, you know, those other 700 and whatever pages, they're not 
being displayed for searches. I hesitate to say they're not in the index because if you do a site colon search for that specific URL that didn't appear on a, you know, a general search site colon for the entire site, uh, it will still be there. Um, so if you do site colon, you know, that URL, you'll still see it in Google search. And in fact, if you search for text from those pages, you'll still see that on a Google search, but you won't see it in a site colon search. Now, some people could say, well, site colon is not completely accurate. I think I saw John Mueller tweeting something uh, this week about, um, you know, Google trying to figure out what to show on a site colon search, but this is weird. Um, and I don't think this is just a site colon issue because uh, these people are also noticing that their traffic is down tremendously and they're not ranking for keywords that they used to rank for as well. So um, when we looked at these particular pages, my first thought was, and I've mentioned this in the, the last few podcast episodes, Gary Ish tweeted something a little while back saying, uh, look at people's response when they no longer see spam indexed. And I think Google's getting better at determining when a page is super valuable. And if it's not valuable, just saying, why would we even bother indexing this? Um, and maybe they're relegating things to, you know, a supplemental index that's uh, that you can find um, if somebody's very specifically looking for that information. But something is 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 just weird. Um, a lot of the sites that saw big drops on December 17th, which is when uh, this seemed to start happening, were also affected by the November 8th update, which we felt was really closely tied to link quality. So uh, what's happening? So we looked at a number of these pages that uh, dropped out of the index. And my first thought was that they were going to be ultra spammy, that it was related to Gary's tweet. Uh, and Google had just figured out that, yeah, there's no point in ever ranking this page. But really, these articles uh, and pages that dropped out of the index, they're not horrible. They're not what I would call spam. Some of them, though, are from sites that we would have classified as lower quality. Um, for example, uh, there are articles that are YMYL subjects, but they're authored by somebody without expertise in that area. Um, one of the sites that was complaining they had a bunch of pages de-indexed uh, had absolutely no contact information on their site. And that's something that's outlined in the Quality Raiders guidelines as being very important uh, to a YMYL site. It's important that users can see who's responsible for information on this site. How do I contact this site? So it may just be that Google has sort of reassessed and said, look, if you're lacking in EAT and maybe in just specific areas of EAT, then we're going to be really strict on uh, what types of pages we want to index from your site. It's possible, but uh, but we don't know exactly. In newsletter, um, we've talked about uh, Google's blog post on what to do if you're affected by a core quality update. And I, I'm going to sound a bit like a broken record uh, here because I mention these all the time. But there's a bunch of questions in that blog post that I think if you have had pages that you just can't get indexed, that uh, keep 
dropping out of the index, uh, then you should be paying attention to these questions. And some of the questions are, does the content provide original information, reporting, research, or analysis? Uh, does the content provide a substantial, complete, or comprehensive description of the topic? Uh, does the content provide substantial value when compared to other pages in search results? And I think that you'll probably find that in most cases, the pages that you can't get indexed anymore, uh, you would answer no to these questions. Now, I know the argument people are going to say, well, yeah, but the pages that are ranking, they're no better. Um, and, you know, we can't go down that road. It's kind of like saying, you know, why did I get a penalty? And this site that's doing the exact same thing didn't. It's kind of like getting a speeding ticket, right? Um, if you get caught, you can get ticketed and lots of other people get away with stuff and it, you're, it's just bad luck if you're the one who gets caught up in, in, uh, in this. So, um, I feel like I've read some of these tweets last week, but it's worth mentioning again uh, just about this indexing issue. John Mueller tweeted a few things. Uh, just because your site isn't being indexed in the way you want doesn't mean there's a problem in our systems. Sometimes things just don't happen the way people want. That's not always a sign that it's broken. Um, similarly, if your site relies on manual index submission for normal content, you need to significantly improve your site. Search Console doesn't fix your site, you need to do that yourself. Um, you know, so I think Google is in some way just determining, look, there's no point in ranking this content. Uh, and then I've seen many people talk about, well, I keep submitting pages in Search Console and they get indexed maybe for a day or two uh, and then they drop out of the index again. Or in some cases, they just can't get indexed. Um, and in that case, I think that's what John's talking about is that Google's just determined that there's a quality issue here. So a lot of people are yelling at Google saying this is a bug on their side and they've come out very clearly and said, no, this is not a bug. Uh, if you're having troubles getting pages indexed, then look at quality. Uh, so I, you know, there's probably more to that story. Um, and uh, if you're having trouble getting pages indexed, then really, really pay attention to quality and look at those questions. I only read a few of them. There's quite a few uh, that Google has given you to ask about your content and your, your website website. Moving on, uh, Search Console has a new report. If you use review snippets or, you know, any type of ratings markup, then there's now a report in Search Console that will allow you to find uh, issues with implementation, uh, monitor your performance, review existing URLs, uh, debug markup even. Um, now, I've heard people saying that these reports are not terribly accurate so far. Uh, I haven't actually dug into the data for any of our clients, but um, just keep that in mind if you're looking at this. I think this has happened with other reports in Search Console that initially the data is not the most helpful uh, and then it gets uh, hopefully more useful for uh, for those of you who are trying to monitor your, uh, your review snippets um, online. Um, there was a really interesting discussion on nofollow at PubCon Austin. Um, so Gary Ish spoke at PubCon Austin. It's funny because last year, oh gosh, was that last year? I think it was two years ago. 
at PubCon Austin was when I spoke with Gary Ish, and it was the first time Google actually confirmed publicly uh, that EAT was something important. I asked Gary, how does Google measure EAT? And he said it was largely based on links and mentions across the web. Um, and that was something that sort of bolstered my uh, theories on EAT, and I ran with that, and now, you know, we've... Uh, We've got a lot of information about EAT on our, our website and in our business. Um, this discussion on nofollow is really, really interesting. Now, I wasn't at this conference, uh, but I, see, I have some tweets and newsletter from uh, some people who I respect who uh, were there. Um, Greg Gifford uh, tweeted a quote from Gary Ish. In the future, we won't force you to use nofollow at all, but we need to train the algorithm first. That's interesting, right? Um, and then uh, Grant Simmons tweeted this quote from Gary saying, Google will use some signals from nofollow links with the new attributes. New attributes being uh, rel equals sponsored, rel equals um, UGC. Those attributes are not mandatory, but they help search engines train their machine learning algos. Long-term goal is, and he tweeted nofollow does exist. I think he meant doesn't exist. And algorithms know which links should pass value. This is super important in my opinion. Um, I know there's been a lot of confusion over uh, nofollowed links and you know these changes and whether Google's going to start counting nofollowed links. And I believe it was Gary at some point said there's no page rank that passes through them. Uh, up until this point, they've used nofollow links uh, for entity recognition. So if I got an important mention in the New York Times, uh, even if it was a nofollowed link, Google should be able to determine that, oh, the New York Times wrote an article about SEO and they mentioned Marie Haynes. That sort of um, improves her level of authority in terms of being recognized as an expert in this area. Um, I, you know, I think that's been around for a while. What's new, though, is uh, the fact that um, Google is going to start to use some of these signals and train machine learning algorithms. Um, now, keep in mind, this was not a uh, an announcement by Google. It was, uh, I'm reading a tweet from somebody who's quoting Gary as he's talking. So I don't want to go writing, uh, uh, you know, articles about uh, uh, a massive change happening here, but I want to keep this in mind. So training a machine learning algorithm, I think, you know, if you implement rel equals sponsored, on your pages. Uh, so let's say you have affiliate links and you marked them with rel equal sponsored uh, along with making them no followed. Then, um, I, although I think you could just do one either or, then that can train Google. They can recognize, ah, oh, okay, whenever they've uh, added rel equal sponsored, machine learning figures out what factors are present. Uh, and so they should be able to determine, okay, for all these sites that didn't label their links as sponsored, now we have some data. Now we can figure out uh, which ones are likely to be sponsored. Now, why is this important? I was looking back at the article that Google uh, published about the new attributes, the sponsored and UGC. And I thought this was added, but it actually was there right from the beginning. It says in this article, do I still need to flag ad or sponsored links? And it says, yes, if you want to avoid a possible link scheme action, use rel equals sponsored or rel equals no follow to flag these links. We prefer the use of sponsored, but either is fine and will be treated, treated the same for this purpose. 
That implies that if you have affiliate links, because we talked about this last week, the quality raters guidelines tell us that affiliate links are another form of monetized links. Google considers affiliate links ads. Um, they consider it sponsored. So if you have followed affiliate links that are pointing out to your affiliate partners uh, and they're not labeled with sponsored, they're not no followed, then you're at risk for actually getting a link scheme action. Now, it's been a little while since I've seen an outbound unnatural links penalty, but, uh, you know, it's a possibility. So we need to be uh, paying attention to these. You know, people have been saying, well, why would I implement REL equals sponsored? It's just going to take a whole bunch of my time to implement it, and it doesn't actually benefit my site at all. I think it can. And I think we noticed with the January core update that we've been talking about ad nauseum, a good number of affiliate sites saw drops with this update. And something we noted was that uh, a large number of these sites did not make it clear that you were clicking on an affiliate link whenever you clicked on it. And we said last week that um, the, uh, I think it's the Advertising Standards Association, um, their uh, recommendations, which really should be followed by all of us on the web, say that it's not enough just to have a disclaimer at the top or the bottom of your post saying that some of these links are affiliate. It has to be really clear to people uh, when they're clicking on that link that they're uh, clicking on a monetized or a sponsored link. The other tweet that I thought was interesting that came from this talk was from Shelly Fagan, who said, we, in, uh, again, tweeting or quoting Gary, we enabled our ranking engineers to use nofollow links if they want to. We wanted to give users a way to give more information about the links. So I think that Google is getting better at figuring out which links are important. Um, let's say that I have, uh, again, a link from the New York Times, and it's no followed. Um, I think that Google can, and I'm going to get into a bunch of theory here, but I think that Google can analyze the text surrounding that link and determine whether that link is a recommendation or not. So imagine um, I have a guest post on Moz, let's say, and I have an author bio with that uh, guest post, and the links, uh, I can't remember if the links there are followed or not, but let's say they're no followed. And um, the link says, Marie Haynes uh, is from the website mariehaynes.com. You can reach her for uh, a site audit, something like that. I think Google can use their natural language processing and more particularly BERT to determine that the words surrounding those links are not Moz um, recommending my content. Like, you know, they could see the words saying this is an author bio, uh, about the author, anything like that. Um, conversely, let's say Moz wrote an article about the January, uh, actually, they, they did, the um, Moz uh, algo update uh, list. Um, and they wrote, uh, you know, something about the January core update. Uh, I think that one they didn't link to us. But in other cases, they've actually linked to our article, recommending it to their readers for more information on particular updates. And um, that is a recommendation. So that's the type of link that Google would want to count and would want to ca pass page rank through. Um, so why am I saying this now? And I thank you if you're still following me because I feel like uh, I'm sort of unpacking these ideas just as I'm, I'm speaking to you. Um, and hopefully they're, they're making sense. But one of the things that's a theory in my head 
is that um, I noticed that a lot of the sites lately that are saying they're seeing ranking drops, either with this February update, with the January core update, or with the de-indexing, are saying uh, that they're using, they've always used white hat methods. Now, my team and I had a good discussion on this. When you hear that phrase, we've always used white hat methods, do you feel like that's legitimate? I know that sounds kind of silly, right? It's white hat. It's not black hat. Of course it's legitimate. I feel, though, that a lot of people use the word white hat to describe something that's not overtly black hat, but it's kind of manipulative. And an example would be widespread guest posting. Um, if you have, let's say you get uh, tens of guest posts, you know, 50, 60 guest posts a month on different websites, um, you're doing that then as a link building scheme. And uh, I think that Google is going to be able to figure out um, which of those to count. And I think it's possible that a lot of these sites that have used white hat methods, so for example, guest posting, if Google's better at determining which of those links to actually count now and which of those links are true recommendations as opposed to, hey, I wrote a thing and here's my site, then uh, it makes sense that if a lot of um, websites lost the link equity through guest posting links, uh, that they would be seeing drops. So, um, you know, this is not a knock on people who do guest posting. I've talked about this a lot in the past, that there are very valid reasons to guest post. But you may want to take a look at whether, um, if you're seeing drops, whether, uh, you know, you have links that potentially are only there because they're self-made. Um, I think I'll end it at that because there's a lot more to unpack there. And I, again, I'm speaking a whole bunch of theory. Uh, but, um, you know, in the weeks to come, we're going to be unpacking a lot of these theories. And uh, again, if you're a paid newsletter subscriber, we'll go into greater detail next week on what we think is happening. If this is a big enough update and we get enough interest in it, we'll probably write a full article to come out in a few weeks as well that will be available to everybody to read. This is interesting news. Uh, Chrome, we've talked about this, I think, that Chrome is moving towards uh, having fewer intrusive ads on video. Um, and there's a list in newsletter that we've described of three types of ads that users tend to find disruptive. One of them is pre-roll ads uh, that are longer than 31 seconds. I don't know who decided 31 was the important number. Like 30 seconds is fine, but 31, that's intrusive. Uh, um, Another is mid-roll ads of any duration uh, that interrupts the user's experience. I, I know that's an issue on YouTube all the time. You got to figure out which ones are skippable, which ones aren't, and um, so users don't like that. And also image or text ads that appear on top of a video, which take up either the middle third of the video window or cover more than 20% of the video window. I know those are very specific um, uh, things, but the point me mentioning this is that Chrome has announced that starting on August 5th of 2020, they're going to stop showing all ads on sites that repeatedly show those types, three types of disruptive video ads. I don't know how they're going to work that with YouTube though, because that's the type of ad, especially the mid-roll ads uh, that YouTube shows. So we're going to keep a note of this. I would imagine as it gets closer to August that we'll have more uh, reminder from Google, from Chrome on this. So we'll uh, keep you in the loop when that happens. 
Um, let's talk about, oh, this is another thing that came out of PubCon Austin, again from Gary Ish's talk. It's a tweet from Kelsey Drapp, uh, who said, Gary Ish says that deduplication in SERPs, such as featured snippets, might roll out to other areas of search, such as carousels, but he hasn't seen any plans for such yet. I thought that was interesting because, um, so let's take that a step back. Deduplication means right now, if you own the featured snippet, you do not get another organic listing um, for that particular URL. So this could roll out to things like, uh, say, the top stories. Let's say that you um, uh, you were listed in top stories and maybe you don't also get an organic listing below. Um, and I think that could impact people's traffic. Uh, so you, we'll keep an eye on those. Um, the other area where we're wondering if Google is going to deduplicate is video snippets. Uh, but I don't think that they will because fewer people will use YouTube if that's the case. If you, if you have a video on YouTube and then that video is also listed on your site, you really want to have the organic listing. You don't want YouTube to be outranking you. So I don't think Google's going to deduplicate that because fewer people would use YouTube. Uh, I could be wrong on that, though. Um, if you received an email notification in Search Console about uh, somebody being added as a new owner to Search Console and you were going, what? I didn't add any new owners. Uh, it's a bit of a glitch on Google's side. So, and it's connected to people who use Google Tag Manager to uh, verify owners. Let's see if I can explain this, but it's really not a big deal. Um, there's different ways to verify owners in Search Console, and one is in using Google Tag Manager. And uh, I guess that verification method broke for a period of time recently. Um, and so Google fixed it, and then what happened was they wanted to send out emails to people um, who were trying to get verified in that time frame when it was broken, but they actually sent out emails to, as far as I understand, to anybody who'd ever been verified using Google Tag Manager. And so imagine you hired me two years ago to do a review of your website, and you verified my access to Search Console in uh, Google Tag Manager. And I haven't spoken to you for the last two years since we did our review. Uh, and suddenly you get a notification that I've been added as an owner to your account. Um, that would sound kind of fishy, right, uh, to do that. It's just a reporting glitch. I actually had uh, a reporter from CNBC contact me uh, because they wanted to write a story on this. And uh, it doesn't make sense. It's, it's just a reporting glitch. It's not like new owners have access to your search console um, unless they were verified by you. Let's talk local SEO. I feel like I've kind of neglected the local SEO news for a little bit. Um, in all honesty, uh, we used to have some local clients and we've sort of moved uh, in a different direction. So we still do have a number of clients that we uh, help them with their local issues, um, but we're not actively doing local SEO, uh, but still we're gonna report on this uh, because we know that many of the people that read newsletter are heavily involved in uh, small businesses and, and helping them with their local SEO. Um, so let me cover a few things. We've got a lot of things in newsletter this week. 
there was a bug of some sort with Google My Business Images. So if you have had images uh, being um, denied by Google My Business, then uh, apparently this is fixed. Jason Brown tweeted uh, just this morning that this has been fixed. I saw Andy Simpson had a theory that Google was using um, natural language processing to determine whether images were uh, potentially racy in nature um, and uh, and maybe al- not allowing them uh, to to rank. Uh, this is Mike Blumenthal said, no, that's probably not the case. Um, what he noted, though, and this was really interesting. Uh, To be relevant, photos must be taken by users at the location in question. He says stock imagery or photos or videos taken by other parties are not relevant and may be removed. So if you're having, if you're using stock photos for your Google My Business um, images, then you may find that Google just removes them and that could be an issue. Regardless though, uh, it seems like whatever the problem was is um, primarily fixed. So that's a good thing. Another interesting thing that won't affect most of you, but if you are a law firm in Los Angeles, apparently a lot of these are being reported as permanently closed when they're not. Um, in our newsletter, we've linked to a thread started by Joy Hawkins, uh, and there's several users that have some solutions to this, so um, so you can take a look at that. Um, Google My Business Q&A, uh, very, very important, and you know we've talked before about how you can pre-populate your Q&A with your own questions, and you can answer your own questions, which, uh, you know, can help you to get some keywords in there and uh, to get some real estate in the SERPs to um, to tell people how awesome you are or what services you offer. Something that a lot of people don't know, and I, I think this was new to me, is that you are not allowed to use phone numbers or URLs in your Q&A. So, uh, so don't do that. It's against the guidelines. That was a tweet from uh, Blake Denham uh, that came out of Austin, PubCon Austin as well. In newsletter, we have a bunch of recommended reading that's really, really good. We've been reading a lot at MHC this week because uh, it's it's really good stuff. This is one of the ways that we train our new staff. We have them read the interesting articles and summarize them uh, for the rest of our staff. And uh, uh, so they've had an interesting week this week. One of my favorite was uh, this case study by Kevin Indig of uh, 2,000 featured snippets about deduplicating. And there's a really interesting part that um, apparently at the at a Bay Area search talk, Gary Ish commented that featured snippets come about from an extra algorithm that's competing for the top position. Um, I don't think that really changes much in how we act, but I did find that very, very interesting. Um, Let's talk, uh, we'll do a couple of Q&A questions. If you want to ask me a question, um, again, my my best area of expertise is in EAT, in understanding Google's uh, quality raters guidelines, and in also figuring out why websites have dropped in rankings. Uh, But you can ask me pretty much anything about SEO, and if I don't know the answer, I usually... uh, uh, get one of my staff on that, and we all, we, we all learn stuff. Um, this first question comes from David Attard, and he says, you mentioned tags and other superfluous pages, stuff which can look like thin content. If the CMS you are using does not support adding no index to the tag, is it recommended that you create disallow on the regular expression for the tag? Uh, let's see here. Um, he's basically saying, should you disallow them in robots.txt? And is there any uh, drawback to that? 
So um, that should be fine. Uh, one thing to note is if you, uh, and so the reason why we recommend no indexing those pages is just so that you're sure they're not in the index. If you have a bunch of tag pages and you've hidden them or you've disallowed them with robots.txt and somebody happens to link to that page, then uh, that page can still appear in the search results. Um, and you've We've all seen this where there's a message in the search results that says uh, something like the content of this page can't be displayed because of the robots.txt file, but people can actually find that page. Um, so as long as that's not a concern, and I think with tag pages, I mean, number one, they're probably not going to have links pointing to them. And number two, it's not the end of the world if somebody happens to find that information online. Um, the other thing to consider is that pages that are disallowed in robots, you can't test them on uh, things like, for example, the PageSpeed Insights tool. Um, if a page is blocked by robots, then uh, Google is not going to be able to uh, run tests on it. Um, so that's something to, to consider as well if you're trying to, you know, determine page speed issues or something like that. Um, so for the vast majority of cases, if you cannot no-index content, then you can uh, disallow them in robots. That'll uh, stop Google from crawling them. And, uh, and that, in my opinion, really should be just fine. Um, next question comes from Alice Fowler, and uh, she says, we've been working hard on EAT for the last year or so, and thankfully are starting to see some positive outcomes. My problem is that I work for a company with several different brands in a few different niches, as well as having some niche personal interests. If you are working to showcase EAT in several different niches, how is Google going to treat that? In the best case scenario, if my name ended up being expert in a few different fields, would this end up seeming spammy or would it be understood that these are different niches and it's possible to have a presence in multiple areas? Thanks from a very avid podcast listener. Been here since the beginning and I always rush to listen to it when it's released. That's so cool. Thank you, Alice. You made my day. Um, so I think I've talked about this before, but it's a question that comes up a lot. So let's cover it again. Uh, and a good example of this is myself. Uh, many of you listening to this know that my career before I was in SEO was as a veterinarian. And uh, I was a vet for 14 years. Um, one of my, our clients was the prime minister's family. Uh, with their, uh, They fostered a bunch of cats. They, uh, His daughter had a hamster, which sadly I could not save, but that's another story. Um, and so I, uh, and I also had a website, uh, you can still find it, it's horrible, uh, because I haven't looked at it for many years, but, um, I had a veterinary website. So let's say I was still running that website, um, and, uh, and keeping it updated and, you know, I wanted to appear as if I had EAT as a veterinarian. And I also wanted to have EAT as an SEO. That's a lot of letters there. Um, that's possible to do that. And uh, I'm trying to think of exact examples, but I really think that that should be fine. The problem is it's very hard to be known by other experts as an expert in multiple areas. So the reason why I'm not updating my veterinary website is because I'm not up to date with veterinary tactics. Um, you know, I, I'm not known as an authority anymore in the veterinary world. Um, you know, and there was a time where when I wrote something on my veterinary website, it would get coverage from many different places. It, it was seen as an authoritative website um, and uh, it no longer is. 
But let's say I'm superhuman and I'm actually able to um, put in the work to get other experts recommending me as an authority uh, in both SEO and as a veterinarian. It's conceivably possible. Um, one of the things I think that needs to be kept in mind here is that I really think that Google's not just looking at our own claims of whether we have expertise, um, but rather they can tell whether content is expert written. So if I wrote a post on diabetes and cats, and you wrote a post on diabetes and cats, I think for most of you uh, listening to this, your post on diabetes is, it's going to, you know, you'll reference articles, you'll reference stuff, you'll do research on many different websites and you can, a good writer can put together a very good article on diabetes. An expert writer though, can add things in a way that I believe Google could detect with natural language processing as being expert written. Um, I don't know how they do that. And uh, I know some of you are rolling your eyes right now because it's, uh, you know, I have all these crazy theories, but there was something that Danny Sullivan said a while back that really hinted that Google can determine whether content is expert written or not. So going back to Alice's question, Alice, if you, truly can write as an expert in multiple topics, probably Google can detect that. Um, the key here is whether other people recognize you as an expert in multiple areas. And that's what the quality raters guidelines talk about a lot is do other authoritative websites um, recognize this author as an expert. Uh, and so it's not enough to just say, well, all right, I want to start writing about diabetes and cats. And so I'm going to change my LinkedIn profile to say that I've written about diabetes and cats for 25 years. And I'm going to get a link from this pet health website and then I'm good. Like, you know, I think in terms of EAT, Google wants to see you as an entity that's known as an expert in diabetes and cats. Maybe that's a little bit too specific, but I think you can probably see what I'm saying here is that if you can accomplish it where, uh, you know, multiple people are saying, oh, oh, you want information on EAT? Well, uh, the stuff from Marie Haynes is really good. Like if people can connect your name with, oh yeah, yeah, she writes on this, then you're doing it right. Um, so, you know, is it, is it a negative? I don't think it is. You know, I could start a niche blog on something and <laughs> here's a, a, a funny thing. I probably could start uh, producing Fortnite content if I wanted to. Um, and, you know, I could get known in that community. I have a few little connections already with some of um, some important streamers. And uh, I could probably get known in that community as like, oh, yeah, yeah, that, uh, that, that woman knows, you know, she's really good at teaching this in Fortnite. Um, and so anyways, I feel like I've babbled on too much about this now. But Yes, it's possible. Is there a negative other than your own time? Uh, you know, it's challenging. Now, should you be trying to be an expert in like 10 different fields? I, I don't think that that's a doable thing. Um, so, you know, take that uh, for what it's worth, but um, hopefully that's, uh, that's been helpful. I think we're going to end it there. We had a couple more questions in Q&A, which we'll uh, cover next week, uh, most likely, as long as Google doesn't do more uh, terribly uh, crazy stuff. Um, we're really excited to announce that uh, our third part of our webinar series on EAT is going to be live on February 20th, that's a Thursday, at 11 a.m. Eastern. 
If you uh, are in a time zone where that's challenging for you, don't worry. We're going to record it. It will be available for everybody. Um, there's information in newsletter on how you can uh, register and we'll send you out something to remind you that we're doing it um, and how you can send questions as well. Actually, I don't know if we have that set up, but that will be something that, um, that we'll cover. This webinar is going to be all about what the Quality Readers Guidelines and other Google documents say about trust and how we can increase uh, the level of trust that is perceived from uh, our website, our business, our reputation, things like that. Um, there's loads of other stuff. This is a really good episode of newsletter this week. We have stuff about how much CSS you can use on AMP pages because that's increased. We have a really good link building tip using something called reverse case studies. Um, how to change incorrect info in your knowledge panel and a load of other things. Um, I'm preparing right now for SMX Munich. I'm going to be there in March talking about improving the quality of your content from the standpoint of the quality raters guidelines. And before I forget, let's answer the question I asked at the top of this uh, episode. So again, if you added two no index tags to a page and one of them uh, said no index, one said uh, that the page was going to be indexed, um, then uh, which one would Google uh, honor? And the answer is that Google will take the most restrictive. So if you have two tags and one implies that this page should be indexed and the other implies that it should not be indexed, the page will not get indexed. Um, I've never seen anybody actually test this. This is based on, uh, I believe Glenn Gabe pulled this out of a help hangout recently, um, but we've seen it come up in the past as well. So know that. I, I've seen it before where somebody has said, look, you can see the tag clearly says index follow uh, and why is it not being indexed? And then lower down on the page, there's another tag that says no index follow. That's the one that Google is going to recognize. I don't know if Bing is the same, um, but uh, most of us are mostly concerned about Google. Um, so that's an important thing to know. So let's finish it there. I want to thank you so much for listening uh, to this episode. I really enjoy just babbling about what I think Google is doing. Um, you can always find me on Twitter at Marie underscore Haynes. Also, uh, you know, we're starting to get fairly active on Facebook and on LinkedIn as well. Uh, those accounts are run by our social media manager, Summer. Uh, and so if you want to reach out to us, there's many different avenues that you can do that. And uh, so have a great week. Hopefully we'll get more information on the craziness in Google's algorithms soon. And I wish you the best of luck with your rankings. Mm -hmm.